Kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That's where we started from last week. In the course of the studies and uh, our main text is Romans 14. Romans 14, 17 to 18. That is the main text. The Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. For he that is in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Amen? This is what we started and uh, we're going to be continuing now. I try to make us understand from the scriptures that when Paul said the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, it's not talking about the basic necessities of life. But when you look at this, sometimes you can be confused to thinking the world is talking about you don't have to own anything good. So that is what meat and drink means. But last week we were able to see that that is not true because even the Lord said the things that the Gentiles are looking for they are addition to those who receive the kingdom. Amen? Meaning that when he talks about meat and drink it's not necessarily saying that you can't get those things and we try to make us understand that what it meant to say is just as the world can get those things the method of receiving them is a difference. For the world, it could be through struggling, it could be through sweating, but for you, in the kingdom, it's a different thing entirely. Amen? Hallelujah. So, we see one of looking at the issue of meat and drink. That I tried to start off last week. Let's take a look tonight. Uh, about the issue of meat and drink. What is meat and drink that we're trying to define? Let's look at First Timothy 4. And then I'm going to be reading up to verse 3. First Timothy 4 from a 1 to 3. We're trying to define what is meat and drink. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that... In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience snared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. Which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them, could believe and know the truth. Amen. Hallelujah. So Paul is saying here that there are some people, some group of persons who will want to be teaching these things and saying that you don't have to partake of certain meat. For instance, it's a known fact that among the Hades, the Jews, and even the Romans, certain meat were prohibited. Like 
There are some Roman doctrines that prohibit certain kind of meat not to be eaten, especially for those in the ministry, in quote. And then, we also find that if you really want to take very closely to what Paul was saying, he wasn't just referring to the Gentiles, he was referring basically to the Jewish people. So he was more or less talking about teachers who were teaching the people not to partake of certain meat, meaning they were trying to uphold Judaism in their practice. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, if you look at Leviticus 11, reading from verse 1 to 3, Leviticus 11 from verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which they shall eat among all the beasts that are on the, on the field. Whatsoever parted the hoof and is cloven footed, and chewed the cord among the beasts, thou shalt ye eat. Nevertheless, they shall ye not eat of them that chew the cord, of them that divide the hoof, as a camel, because he chewed the cord, but divided not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. Now, I don't have the time now to explain all of this, but I tried to make you see last week that when you talk about animals that chew the cord, uh, is symbolic of meditating on the word. You receive the word, bring it back again, you meditate on it. That is what it means to chew the cord. Amen? So, but we're not going to be dealing with all of that. We just concentrate tonight and uh, see what we have here. So, what he's saying, don't hear this meat. So, basically, he's saying that what we're writing to Timothy, there are some people who are still saying some of these things should not be done. This meat should not be eaten. This kind of thing should not be eaten. I remember what he said in the book of Colossians that don't allow anybody to judge you on meat or drinks or whatever. Is that okay? Or observing of days. So this is just the argument. So basically when you talk about meat and drinks, you're talking about a mode of worship, a religious system, a pattern of lifestyle that is contrary to God's intent for his people. Amen? In this science, he's using a the Jewish religion. So you will find that they are supposed to be meat or food. One must eat or not eat. In order to remain clean and righteous before God. Under the Jewish and the sacrificial law system. In other words, if you were to be practicing Judaism, there are certain meat you cannot eat. If you eat them, it's assumed that you are not clean. And you are not righteous before God. You see? So, your food pattern speaks of your righteousness in Judaism. Just like the law he gave in Leviticus 11. Amen? So when Paul is not saying the kingdom is not meat and drink, then you can begin to understand what he's saying. That it's not patterned after these laws. But God's righteousness, God's own peace through the Holy Spirit. 
Amen? Now, we're going to be looking at that more fully, but let's still continue to define this issue of meat and drink so that you can understand it. And just for the point of emphasis, I said, meat and drink is not saying you cannot possess the best in life. It's not saying that. Amen? So, it's not a question of, well, we're in the kingdom and it's meat and drink, so we don't need to bother ourselves about this, we don't need to concern ourselves about that. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. Because, like we said in the book of Matthew, you already said, seek ye for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added. The best in life is meant for the best, I mean, for the king's children. There is no two ways about that. But again, he said, you can get this thing without going the way of the world. But it can still be yours. Is that okay? When you seek the kingdom, these things can be added to you. You don't need to struggle to get them. If something is added to your life, it's not something you struggle to get. Hallelujah. So, meat and drink is not saying you can get the best in life. No, it's not saying the best in life is meant for the unbelievers alone. Because you are in the kingdom. It's not saying that. Okay, let's move on a little bit to Hebrews chapter 6. We still look at the meat and drink and see what we're looking at. Now, in chapter 5, if you remember, it talks about those who go for the milk, they are not perfect as touching the word of righteousness. Remember that? Amen? And I'm trying to make you see that when you're talking about milk, it's the same thing as the first principles of the doctrine of Christ. Which, in essence, is actually speaking of the initial laws that God put in place to tide man over to the place of maturity in Christ. Okay, let's watch this. Hebrew chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. The word principle there is very important. We'll look at it much, much. Let's just progress a little bit. Let's look at verse number 2. And of the doctrine of baptisms, not baptism, baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permits. For, watch this, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, if they fall away again to bring them to repentance. Hallelujah. Are you there? Now, this statement makes you to see something. First of all, let me explain. What are the principles? The word principles of the doctrine of Christ is the word ake in the Hebrew. And ake means a commencement, a beginning, a corner. It speaks of principality or rule. What is saying here essentially is in relation to the Jewish people who have come to believe into the new order. And the Lord is saying here through the scripture, 
if such people go back from partaking of the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to begin to worship based on the laws, it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. Because for one, you will come to the place of arguing that you know. When in the true sense you don't know. Are you catching what I'm talking about now? So he actually speaking to the Jewish people. You cannot partake of the Holy Spirit. You cannot partake of the glory of the age to come. And then you go back to begin to practice the old things that you came out from. Are you following that now? For those who have been enlightened by reason of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, you started seeing things differently. Now if you go back to your previous understanding and thinking that you build up your faith from there, it's a difficult thing to bring you to repentance. Hallelujah. Meaning, there is repentance from the world and there is repentance from religion. Did you get that? Did you pick the picture there? You can repent from the wall and you are brought into the kingdom. And you also need to repent from the religious system you wear into the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. By the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And this is what, I, I, don't, I don't know if I mentioned this sometime here. The baptism of John the Baptist was basically for repentance. Can you remember that? Now the question is, Jesus had no sin. So what was he baptized for? What was he going to repent for? I'm going to show you a scripture that will make you see he needed to repent. Because he was also born into the system that he needed to repent from. Okay, so when we look at, let me define the elements again, the f- basic principles now. Get down to Galatians 4. Galatians 4. Hallelujah. Let's look at verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as is a child, Deferred nothing from his servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time I pointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world, element or rudiment or first principles. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent for his son made of a woman, made under what? Under the law. Did you get that? To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So the son was made under the law. Therefore, he also need to repent from the law into the new order. 
Did you get that? Because Hebrews 6 says, Those who have tasted of the power of the age to come of the Holy Spirit, if they go back into the famous practice as such in the first rudiment, it's difficult to bring them to repentance. That means they repented once. Is that okay? Good. And so this is the reason why Jesus also needs to be baptized into the baptism of repentance of John. Because he had no sin, but he need to repent from the law because he was born under the law. He was taken to the temple when he was 12 years or whatever. All the normal sacrifices were done. How many of you remember that? So he needed to repent. And that's the major reason why also he needed to be baptized by John. Okay. Now, the word element, like I said there, means something orderly in arrangement. That is by implication in Syria. Fundamental initial constituents, it speaks of the first principles. Hallelujah. So, now Paul is saying, okay, let me read this from a different translation. Maybe let me read from the Living Translate, Living Bible. I'm reading from verse 1 again, Galatians 4. But remember this, that if a father dies and leaves great wealth for his little children, that child is not more better off than his slave until he grows up. Even though he actually owns everything his father had. Two, he has to do what his, his guidance managers tell him to until he reaches whatever age his father says. And that is the way it was with us before Christ came. We were slaves to Jewish laws. Hallelujah. And rituals. For we thought they could save us. But when the right time came, the time God decided on, He sent His Son, born of a woman, born as a Jew, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the laws, so that He could adopt us as His own sons. And because we are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart. So now, we can rightly speak of God as our dear father. Now we are no longer slaves, but God's own sons. And since we are his sons, everything he has belongs to us. For that is the way God planned. Now I want you to know that. So when you talk about the elements of this world, which are the first principles... Is talking about the Jewish laws and the Jewish rituals in ways of religious worship. Are you picking what I'm doing here? So when he says the kingdom is not meat and drink, which brings you, remember what we read here, he said, those who have been practiced thinking that you do what? It will save us. Verse number three again said, and that is the way it was with us before Christ came. We were slaves to Jewish laws and rituals, for we thought they could save us. Hallelujah. So they were the guiding principles. We thought they could save us. Now, when Christ came, our mind shifted from those laws into who? Into Christ. So when Paul says in Romans 14, the kingdom is not meat and drink. What he's simply saying, the kingdom is not about Jewish laws and rituals. Are you getting it now? The kingdom is not about 
Jewish laws and rituals. But righteousness and joy and peace and the Holy Spirit. Now, Super Progress, we're going to be dealing with those three uh, aspects of it so that we can see more clearly what is supposed to be God's righteousness, what is supposed to be God's peace, what is supposed to be God's joy, which you can experience for being in the kingdom. Meaning, if you live your life based on religious principles, which could, could be the same, if you will, it may not necessarily be rituals, but if your perception about life is still tied to modes of worship and not a flow of the spirit, you can't experience God's peace, you can't experience his joy, you can't experience what the Holy Spirit gives to you. Hallelujah. You see, the Hebrew 6 is saying, those of you have tasted, in other words, you got freedom in Christ as you enter into the kingdom, by reason of your new bed. If you choose to go back and entangle yourself and begin to look for modes of worship, then the joy of the kingdom will elude you. Are you getting this? So, we too need to come to that understanding. That in this kingdom that we are, is the flow of the spirit that determines your peace and your joy. Can you see what Jesus will speak in the book of Matthew chapter 12? He said, they were asking the question, why will your disciples begin to pluck ears of the corn on the Sabbath? And get a reply he gave, haven't you read how that Mo, um, David ate the showbread and those that followed him, which was not lovable for him? How the high priest ministered on the Sabbath and he was blameless. God is not after what? Sacrifice. God is after mercy. Meaning, the Sabbath and all of those showbread which the high priest alone was handling had to do with the Jewish laws and rituals. But Christ is saying, no, that order is over. Are you following this now? That order is over. So if your mode of worship is still tied to some elementary principles, you can't enjoy the joy and the peace of the new order. So the kingdom is not meat and drink, simply means the kingdom is not a religious, it's not a religious set. It's not, it's not a religious, how do I put it now? I don't know how best to explain this. But it's not things you conjure up by terms of rules and, and, and structures and, and design as the case may be. Now, that is not to say God is not a God of order. God is a God of order. Amen? Because even the Holy Spirit is out of order. Hallelujah. Scriptures say God is not the author of confusion. So that means God is God of order. Is that alright? But, the worship of the new order in the kingdom is not tied basically to roots and religious rituals that can bring you as we thought, like the Bible says, for we thought they could save us. No other word, no religious practice can save you other than Christ. Hallelujah. You can't believe into anything outside of Christ to be saved. 
Praise the Lord. So, when men begin to talk about, you know, there are a lot of, lot of denominations across the world that have their own pattern that brings you to salvation. Is that okay? Uh, God is trying to tell us tonight, those things may be there, but those things can't give you salvation. Those things can't bring you to the kingdom. You may conjure up joy, you may conjure up peace, but it's not of the Lord. If it is not of the Lord, it can't be lasting. Hmm? When we begin to deal with those three elements, I'll make you see. And I may show that sometime. When it talks about peace that passes all understanding, it is the kind of peace that you receive that no matter what is going on around you, there is still joy on your inside. We deal with that so that you can see. That is why in the book of John, if you read 16, 17, was telling them, he said, the peace I leave unto you is not the type that the world gives. Do you understand that? So there is the kingdom peace and there is the worldly peace. We deal with that fully. But what we're saying is, there is no religious practice in the true sense that can give you the kind of peace that Jesus promised. Or the kind of joy that is making available to his people. That in the midst of what seems to be ugly situation, there is still the joy of the Lord flowing within their... See, that's why the scripture says the joy of the Lord is what? Is your strength. And we're going to look into all of that much later. And, and Solomon will say, if you faint in the days of adversity, then your joy is small. Your strength is small. Hallelujah. Okay, let's move on just a little bit. Praise the Lord. I would like to read this again from the Amplified Translation. Galatians 4. Is it something smelling? Galatians 4 again. I'm reading from the Amplified. But remember this. That if your father dies and leaves great wealth. Is that what I read before? Sorry. Uh, let me take it from the Amplified. Now what I mean is that. As long as the inheritor is child. Another age. He does not differ from his slave. Although he is the master of all the estate. But is under guidance and administrators or trustees. Until the date fixed by his father. So we Jewish Christians. Understand it now. Also. When we were minors. We were kept like slaves under the rules of the Hebrew ritual. And subject so the elementary teaching of a system of external observations and regulations. I like it in Amplified. Are you getting that now? Good. Now I want you to pick this again. We Jewish Christians, that's what he's dealing with now. Remember, Paul is saying, the kingdom is not meat and drink. Meat and drink is directly connected to the first principles, which I'm saying has to do with the Jewish rules and rituals. And here, Paul is explaining from the Amplified, so we Jewish Christians also, when we were minors, we were kept like slaves under the rules of the Hebrew ritual and subject to the elementary teachings of a system of external observations and what? Regulations. Because you see, everything that Verse 4 says, but when the proper time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under 
or but subject to the regulations of the Lord. If you take time to observe this, you discover that everything that the Jewish people were practicing had to do with your external appearance. Amen? It's, it's something on the outside. You do your washings, you do your this, you do your that. No. I mean, think about that. That's just precisely what it is. External. There was nothing that was going on your inside. That is why it's not possible for you to be saved by external appearance religion. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now let's move on just a little bit. So we find out the first principle of Christ stated in Hebrews 6 verse 1 is the Jewish laws and rituals. Quickly say if you go back to them it will be for you to be brought to repentance again. Is that okay? For you and I we have never been Jews. But we have also had mode and concept of worship. Which we also think could save us. And even when we were born into the faith as Christians, part of what we partook in was still elementary in concept, which cannot match up with the demands of the kingdom principles. We still have rules in what we call orthodox principles or whatever. They can still match up with the principles and the life of the kingdom. It's the same thing. So, what we're dealing with, if you truly think about coming into the kingdom, then there are so many things you are going to do away with. In fact, not just do away with, you need to repent from. Because Jesus repented. Amen? Come on, are we together? Okay. Now, in Hebrew chapter 6, there is one principle that is mentioned. He called it dead works. It is still part of the Jewish ways of worship. And I'm going to explain that. Go back again to Hebrews chapter 6. And then see what I'm saying there. Back again to Hebrews 6. Are you there? Praise the Lord. Okay. Hebrews 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance for what? Dead works. I want you to know that. So what is dead works? In relation to the first principles. Praise the Lord. Now go to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's find out what are the dead works. Paul is saying, let's move on to something else. What are dead works? Now, I may not be able to read all of this, but I would like you to read it from verse 1 on your own. Hebrews 9 from verse 1. And understand something. Hebrews 9 verse 1 is, I mean, Hebrews chapter 9 is all the description of actually basically a comparison of the priesthood of Jesus Christ as a high priest. That's Hebrews chapter 9. It's a comparison of the high priest and the priesthood of Jesus Christ in the new order. Is that alright? Now, let's take it from verse number 8. Hebrews 9 verse number 8. And the Holy Spirit uses all this to point out to us that 
I'm reading from the simplest translation as well. Praise the Lord. Now, remember, in Hebrews chapter 9, if you begin to read from verse 1, it's talking about the tabernacle and the wilderness, the holy place, the altar call, the most holy place, and how the priest goes into minister and so on and so forth. Is that okay? Are we together? Okay, verse 8 now says, from the living Bible as well. And the Holy Spirit uses all this to point out to us that under the old system, the common people could not go into the Holy of Holies as long as the outer room and the entire system he represents were still in use. Because it was only the high priest that had access to the most holy place. Is that okay? So, as long as the tabernacle was still standing in the wilderness, the, there is no man that has rights to go and approach the most holy place. And if you need to get to the most holy place, that is the only place where you can truly find God. Because God, more or less, was residing between the two cherubims in the most holy place. Is that okay? On top of the ark. Okay. So now, the common man can have access there. Only the high priest have access to that place once in a year. And he goes there with the animal sacrifices, the blood of the animals, and sprinkling on the altar on behalf of the people. And he comes out and tells the people, your sins are forgiven, and they rejoice and go back home. So, they do that every year. Okay. Go to verse 9. Hebrew 9 verse 9. This has an important lesson for us today. For under the old system, gifts and sacrifices were offered. But this failed to cleanse the hearts of the people who brought them. I want you to know that. For the old system dealt only with certain fruits. What kind of foods to eat and drink? Did you get that? The kingdom is not what? Meat and drinks. So he says, This is important lesson for us today. For under the old system, gift and sacrifice were offered. But this failed to cleanse the heart of the people who brought them. Verse 10. For the old system dealt only with certain rituals. What foods to eat and drink. Rules for washing themselves. Rules about this and about that. The people had to keep these rules to tie them over until Christ came with God's new and better way. Living Bible. Hallelujah. Amen? Okay. Now, go to verse 13. Same Hebrew 9. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an hive sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge watch your conscience from dead works to serve the living God Did you get it? Hallelujah. The initial sacrifices that has to do with meat and drink, this and touches only your physical body. It doesn't touch your conscience. Now salvation is not about the physical body, it's about the conscience. Are you still there with me? Meaning, if you truly come into Christ, you are definitely going to receive another conscience because your conscience will be dealt with by the blood of Jesus. 
So if you still have a conscience that is not alive to the spirit, then you are still partaking of the old order. Are we together? Your worship is still tied to the old order because your conscience is not alive in the kingdom. There are so many principles you need to begin to look into in the kingdom that explains to you what it should be if your conscience has been dealt with. If you want to go up to a kingdom constitution, you go back to mighty reading from chapter 5, 6, and 7. Amen? Those are supposed to be the constitution of the kingdom that we are in. So find out what he says and all of that. Okay. So here, verse 14 is very crucial. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself with us for to God, purge what? Your conscience from dead works to serve what? The living God. Hallelujah. Now, this word, dead works, necra actually in the, in the, in the Greek. Of course, one more time in that Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. Which we, which we just read. That is Hebrews 6 verse 1 and Hebrews 9 14. These are the only two places we are going to see the word dead works. And in both places, it already speaks of works that are in connection to death. And it also speaks of works of those who are connected to those who are dead in sin and trespasses. And I want you to see this because it's very important. Dead works has to do with works that are connected to those who are, in, who are dead in sin and trespasses. Now, why it's so important we understand it is this. Dead works has to do with you sin, you die. You sin, you die. Then you have to kill an animal to propitiate for yourself so that you don't die. Are you catching this? Dead works. You sin, you die. You see, there was never a live animal that was offered. They must slaughter the animal, they took the blood in there. But the new order says, present your body as what? A living sacrifice. So it's no longer dead work, but a living work. Hallelujah. So when you talk about the old order, it is truly dead works. And one of the things there again is, okay, let's just get down to Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 8. Hallelujah. Romans 8, I'm reading verse 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, Jesus, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Did you get that? Hallelujah. Did you see it there? The law hath made me free from what? The law of sin 
and death. So there is a law of the spirit of Christ. And there is a law of sin and death. What then is the law of sin and death? Same principle like I explained. You sin, the high priest have to kill the animal and propitiate for you. On the other hand, you sin, you die. So it's a circle of sin and death, sin and death, sin and death. Is that okay? Hallelujah. But don't you forget, we are coming to something very important and I want you to know that because he's talking about the blood of Jesus cleansing your conscience from dead works. Which the first ritual cannot touch. And I want you to see that because it's very crucial. So the law of spirit of death by which those who were under it were bound. They were chained because of their sin to condemnation and death. The gospel proclaimed by Jesus the Savior and what the Lord bound unto death, it turns loose into life. In other words, when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus, the new gospel that he has come to declare before the people, you are free from the cycle of sin and death. Are you, are you getting that? He said the law of, of the spirit of Christ, of, of, of life, like we read in Romans now, Chapter 8. Cannot set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, I want you to see how this works. How the sin and death works. We're going to see that. It's like time is running against us. Let's see. So, how does the gospel really fulfill this spirit of life? Which is another law. The gospel of the grace of Christ, which is not only a law or a rule of life, but releases that sovereign energy by which guilt is removed from the conscience, the power of sin broken, and its polluting influence removed from the heart. What's this? I think we just need to kind of... Uh, I don't know I'm going to explain this now, but... Okay. Remember, it says... The sacrifices cleanse the flesh but cannot touch the conscience. Is that okay? Are we together? Now, the conscience is where the factor of the law of sin and death reside and walks through. Get it this way. Every time the people comes to sacrifice, they remember their sins. Is that okay? Once they finish the sacrifice, they are going home rejoicing. Their sins have been forgiven. But within the period, they are preparing for another sacrifice next year. Because the conscience is telling them they are sinners. They need forgiveness next year. So, before the year ends, they are preparing the animal for their sin sacrifice. And because of that, it is impossible for them not to sin. Because a factor of sin is resident in where? In their conscience. They are, now, when you talk about sin, watch it this way. The basic thing is when you sin, there is a guilt you feel. Are you done with me? When you are guilty in your conscience, you can approach God effectively to pray. Did you get that now? That is a consequence of sin in the first place. 
you find it difficult now to approach God. Now the boldness with which you can approach God is no longer there. So, for the Jewish rituals, there was no man bold enough to approach God except the high priest. Because their conscience is always of guilt. That is why Paul is starting with saying, there is therefore no more condemnation. In other words, don't live your life under guilt. Otherwise, you will not be bold enough to approach the throne of grace to obtain help or mercy to help in times of need. So one of the things that the blood of Jesus does is to cleanse your heart first and foremost from consciousness of guilt. Are you still there with me? Okay. Now, conscience is the part of the superego in the psychoanalysis that transmits command and admonition to the ego. In other words, we're talking about the power that releases thought patterns or information to your mind as to who you are or who you are not. Is that okay? Are we together? Is the super ego in this psychoanalysis that transmits command and admonition to the ego? The ego in man. Hallelujah. It is the sense of consciousness of the moral goodness or blameworthiness of one whose conduct, intention, or character together with a feeling of obligation to do right or be good. That aspect that speaks to you, what you have done is wrong. That is the conscience. The super ego in your psychoanalysis that gives you command, that gives you instruction. Meaning, when it says the blood of the animals cannot cleanse man, what he's saying is, there is never a time this conscience of theirs can ever acquit them that they are free. The transmission that always comes to them is that you are guilty. You are guilty. You are guilty. All the time. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's look at something. Hebrews 12. I mean Hebrew 10. Look at Hebrew 10. Hebrew 10. And look at verse 2. And then verse 18 to 19. Hebrew 10 verse 2. Say, so for them will they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Can you get that? Conscience of sins. Conscience of sins. Are you there with me? Hebrew 10, let's look at 18. Now, where remission of this is, there is no more offering for sin. Remember, verse 2, they have conscience of sins. But, where the blood is offered, no more offering for sin. When you look at that, you find that one is plural, one is singular. And if you look at John, the Bible says, the Lamb of God has taken away the sin, not sins, the sin of the world. 
You didn't take away sins, you took away sin. The sin is the factor that makes you to commit sins. Did you get that? And it's all embedded in your conscience. Is there something you pick from Adam? It's impatience. So it's the root cause of sins. Now the sacrifice of Jesus dealt with sin. So that you don't commit sins. I'm going to capture this now. Okay. Verse 19. Having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Can you get that? Boldness also speaks of liberty. By a new and a living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us all near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from what? An evil conscience. And our bodies what with what? Pure water. Evil conscience is directly connected to dead works. So now, in the next five minutes, let's ask this question. What is an evil conscience? Evil conscience is not necessarily killing people. Amen? Look at it this way. The evil conscience is this sense of guilt that we carried along with us before the sacrifice of Jesus. Which God's blood have now taken away from us. Now to be replaced by the peace and the love of God. As new being shared abroad in our hearts. Let me just look at the book of Romans so that you see what I mean. The love of God is possessing in our spirit. The evil conscience is that of sin and death. Sin and death. Now it becomes an evil conscience if you don't believe into what Christ has done. To begin to say no more condemnation. You can have the boldness to approach God. It becomes evil because you don't believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the blood can walk in your spirit man. In your consciousness. Watch this in Romans chapter 5. Turn with me to Romans 5. Romans 5. Verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord, who? Jesus Christ. Now, you see, the peace, you must understand, has to do with the fact of reconciliation. That's why I say, we've been justified by what? By faith. Justified from your sins. You have peace. In other words, God reconciled you through him, I mean, to himself through the blood of Jesus. We together? Alright. Therefore, being justified by faith, we are peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing tribulation work at patient, and patient experience and experience hope. And hope making not ashamed because the love of God. Is shared abroad where? In our heart by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So evil conscience is the realm of unbelief. 
with the consciousness of sin. Hallelujah. Are you still there? If you don't believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, that the love of God, remember what the Bible says, it said we love him, but he first or what? Loved us. His love is what made him to reconcile us. Now we have peace with him. So, because we have peace with him, we can approach him and talk to him as our father. As compared to the old order that you can't, somebody has to talk to him for you. As a high priest. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, the new order makes it so simple. First John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Did the Bible say so? But he said, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to do what? To forgive you. Now, it's not as if you are looking for a mediator now to do that. The grace given now is, you can by faith approach him and confess your sins. Are you, are you sitting there with me? Now, if you don't believe him to come to this place of this understanding, to live in this realm, but you still believe him with the consciousness of sin, you have what you call an evil conscience. That's the evil conscience we are talking about. And that evil conscience takes you back to the rituals of the Jewish laws. Meaning, you feel there are some things that must be done for God to be pleased with you. Because Romans 5 says now we have peace with him. But with an evil conscience, you are looking for what to do to be able to make God to do what? To accept you. Doing away with the sacrifice of Jesus makes it an evil word, conscience. Hallelujah. And so that evil conscience, which is dead work, is part of what Paul is saying. The kingdom is not meat and drink. It's not the sacrifices it's not the regulations. It's not the Jewish rules. It's not a tradition. It's a lack of faith by which you can have access through the Holy Spirit into the presence of God. 